Hello everyone, welcome to the Barefoot Project. My name is Shane Levesque and here I'm at the Center for the Humanity Project with Charlie Burrell. So, Charlie, tell us about yourself and uh, how things are going these days. Uh, things are going great. Uh, we just won $50,000 in kitchen repairs for our kitchen. Um, about myself, I'm just your average blue-collar, hard-working kind of guy that just, uh, you know, I think everyone deserves happiness and that's what we strive for every day. That's uh, awesome. Congrats on that and, uh, like, you seem to be growing big, so I'm, uh, I'm happy for you. So, can you talk about the Humanity, Pro Humanity Project as is today, the accomplishments made so far in the past two years? and the changes that has progressed since you guys started. Yeah, um, started off, you know, it was uh, a cold winter day in January 2014 and I was driving down the street and I seen an elderly gentleman with, uh, he was wearing a pair of sneakers and he had no mittens and he had no hat on and I was in the heated seats of my car and I just remember looking at him and thinking like I should really help that guy and I didn't and it bothered me for like two weeks um, so I went out and uh, about two weeks later I seen on Facebook one of my friends posted what they were having for supper and that's just when I realized that we use social media to basically put what we're having for supper but we're not using it to realize that there's people in our own community that are going without supper or going without housing so at the time I was laid off work, I wasn't working, and I just made a post to my family and friends and I said, uh, you know, there's, I can't afford to help all these people, but I can't afford to do nothing. Um, so with the power of social media at my fingertips and friends and family, I want to make some winter survival bags. And in two weeks we ended up making 32 winter survival bags. And then uh, what happened is I went out with a couple friends and we searched around the whole city. And we ended up giving these bags out to people that were sleeping out on the streets. And that's when I really became educated on what was happening in my community. Um, after that, I noticed a lot of seniors were having to worry about buying their food or their medicine. So I decided to have a bottle drive and in one month, uh, we collected, I think it was like fifteen or 17,000 recyclables. And it was like 630 bucks. But that's when I quickly realized that it's going to take a lot of money and a lot of bottles to be able to feed people. So I started thinking about other ways of doing it. And for some reason, couponing popped in my head. And the only thing I really knew about couponing at the time was what I seen on TV, which was just basically... Uh, bunch of crazy women hoarding toothpaste and deodorant under their beds and uh, that's all I knew about it but so I reached out to a local group called the Moncton Coupon Ladies and I told them my idea to help seniors and feed people and they decided to get on board with me and in one month we fed 33 families a full month's worth of everything they needed their toiletries their necessities uh, for $747 that's awesome. And that's when I realized that it's not money that fixes problems. It's people taking action that fix problems. So kind of started from there, and then it uh, spiraled from there. And last summer, when uh, the soup kitchens closed, uh, there was nowhere to eat. Because in our city, we only have, we have two soup kitchens. They were both open at lunch, but nobody had supper and I uh, remember uh, a man telling me that was sleeping on the street that he would go to one soup kitchen to eat and then he would go down to the other one to eat so that he could fill up as much as he could because he didn't have any food till the next day so with the help of what kids need we formed uh, what's called feed the community and we started popping open tables in parking lots and feeding people and we did that from January or I'm sorry from July until December of this year and uh, God, awesome. God bless my volunteers, man. I remember we had 100 millimeters of rain in two days, and they were in a parking lot with the backs of their cars popped up with tarps going over top of them, and they had tables underneath of them, and it was just pouring, and they were still out there feeding people. Wow. You know? No, I was here yesterday for the day, and you do have a lot of volunteers 
um, and you have a lot of help, and you're saying that you're growing, so you must, you seem to be very accepted in the community, um, and you gotta thank volunteers, I do, I have a lot of volunteer experience, and you wouldn't be able to make this work without it, um, so thank God for those, uh, volunteers. Are there any challenges, though, um, from the public or the community that you face, uh, Every day presents new challenge, you know. When you, whether you're dealing with volunteers or you're dealing with people that are out on the streets, it's so many different personality types, so many different people, different ways of doing things. You know, when someone comes in to volunteer for us, I don't, uh, I don't tell them, you know, you're going to be doing this today. You're going to be scrubbing toilets or scrubbing walls, or you're going to be cooking in our kitchen. I would rather somebody do what they want. So if they come in and they don't feel comfortable in our kitchen and they would rather sort clothes or put away food or make food boxes, I would rather them do that because it's a better volunteer experience for them. That they feel like they did something productive and something meaningful. You know, instead of sticking them in a spot where they don't want to be, find someone else to take that spot and get them to do what they want. I think that's, that makes a big difference where we have so much going on and so many different things that people are able to choose and when it comes to volunteers half the people that we have as volunteers are people that currently use or have used our service and are given back because when you give people a sense of purpose you know the homeless people think it's kind of ridiculous to me really because people think that homeless people just want to sit in a park for eight hours a day looking into the sky and not looking for a job but when you're walking around and you're carrying everything you own in a bag and your clothes are getting dirtier and dirtier every day you can walk in with the best resume in the world you know top university degrees and the person that you hand your resume to is still gonna look at you and judge you because you're dirty your clothes stink you know so giving people new clothes <clears throat> and a sense of purpose and letting them know that they can succeed whether it's volunteering here or whether it's going to work in a kitchen somewhere or going to work at a warehouse. Once you give them a sense of purpose and you give them a little helping hand up, then people really want to better themselves. And a lot of the people that have been here that are currently working or that are currently housed still come back here because it's a sense of community. It's a sense of family. Like we don't <clears throat> we don't call anybody here a client. To me when you call somebody a client, you're referring to some type of financial transaction between you. We don't have clients, we have friends. And that's the difference because we want them to always know that we're here for them, no matter what. You know, you you should always look for the best in people, even when they see the worst in themselves. You know? And I can tell that you've done a lot of advocacy and you've been teaching to the public however you can, wherever you can. Um, so, and you, like you mentioned, there's still some stigma. There's some people that don't understand or might not agree with the lifestyle that they're going, that they're living. Mm -hmm. Or even they don't, you know, they don't have an idea of what's going on. Um, so what can you say about that uh, regarding, you know, about you know, the, the, the judgment and the... Um, Two years ago... Two and a half years ago, before I seen that man out on the street, before I went out and handed out bags to the homeless, I was just as ignorant. I was ignorant because my idea of a homeless person was what was portrayed on TV or what I seen in the media. And that was, uh, you know, some guy holding a brown paper bag with a bottle in it. And that was my idea of homelessness. You know, I've always been compassionate person when it comes to like animals or people or children and you know seniors stuff like that two and a half years ago it wasn't like I seen that man and I became more compassionate it's just that's when I became educated you know when I went out on the street and I handed out 32 bags to people they weren't all drunk they weren't all on drugs I looked at one man and he said to me you know this hasn't always been my life and thank you for these things that you guys put together in this bag, but I will get back on my feet again. And when he said that to me, I walked out, and that changed my life. 
it changed my life because I looked at him and it was like putting a mirror on myself. You know, I've had, uh, I know what it's like to struggle. I know what it's like to be part of the working poor. You know, working 40, 60 hours a week and you can barely pay your power because MB Power keeps putting up the rates every year. Or, you know, you can afford groceries. You, it, it's hard. It's tough times for all of us. And I realize that and I get it. But I have been fortunate enough that I had the right family and friends behind me that would have never left me out on the street. And some people have that friends and family that wouldn't leave them out on the street. But it's pride. We let our pride stand in the way. I had people that have asked me, you know, do you do a, can you do me up a food box? I need help. And I was like, yeah, okay, you know. Um, does your friends and family know that you're having a hard time? Well, no. My friends and family don't know that my cupboards are empty. Why? Because you don't want to say anything because you let that pride get in your way. You know, but it's, you should move the pride out of the way because the help is there once you realize it. But when you ask for help, you should also be treated with dignity. You shouldn't be treated and looked down on because you need a helping hand up or because, you know, you're having a tough month or you're having a hard time. A couple of weeks ago, there was a man that came in here. He had a brand new Cadillac and a suit that's probably worth more than half the things in this office. You know, he was, he has money. And so one of my volunteers said, you know, does that guy really need help? He just showed up and look at him, like he's got a new car. But you know what? I'm not here to question why he's here. He's here because he's hungry. And maybe he's having the worst week of his life. You know? He had that car before he had a hard time. And that's the funny thing is people see, um, you see the homeless with cell phones or tablets. And you go, well, you know, if you're homeless and you're having that hard of a time, why do you have a tablet or a cell phone? Well, what you don't realize is those people had those things before they went homeless, before they had a hard time. And those people that had those things... That's their one communication to the world. And usually, they're not hooked up on service. They're not set up. You usually find them outside somewhere that gives free Wi-Fi so that they can contact their family and still tell them that they're alive or that they're okay. You know, so judging people and assuming what someone's circumstances are is none of our business. You know, like, the, the food banks, they qualify people by financials. How much did you make? How much did you pay in rent? All this stuff, right? And I'll never forget it. There was a woman whose husband, she was a stay-at-home mom. And uh, her husband got sick with bone cancer. I believe is what it was. It was bone cancer, I think. And uh, she couldn't... They went through their savings. And when she finally let her pride stand out of the way, she went to a food bank, sat there in line, filled out all the paperwork, and then was told, you made too much money last year. We can't help you. And my issue with that is, it doesn't matter how much you made last year when you have four kids to feed today. You know, we don't ever ask anybody for their bank statements or their power bills or anything like that. The only thing we're asking is, do you have food in your cupboards? Because that's the only thing we need to know. And it's this fear... And it's been ingrained in us as a society that, well, people are going to take advantage. People are going to take advantage. Um, when I did my food boxes from my house, I would check all their names against the food banks. And I would be able to see if they used a food bank, when they used a food bank. And out of everybody I've ever asked, out of 350 people that I ever asked, do you use a food bank? And most of them would respond, you know, yeah, I do, but I didn't get enough. Or, yeah, but I can't go back to this time or whatever. Okay, cool. So what do you need? And we'll give it to you. And if there's something you don't need, tell us so we can give it to someone else. But out of 350 people that I asked, do you use a food bank? Only four lied. So only four people lied to me in that whole, in that whole number. So the percentage of people wow. that are going to take advantage is very small. So why penalize the 99% that aren't going to take advantage? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it doesn't make sense. You know, we put these safeguards in place. It's, it's funny because as a society, when we started feeding people out in a parking lot, the one thing I heard is, you're going to get sued. What happens if someone gets sick? What happens if this happens? What happens if that happens? Okay. My question was always this. You know, I'm going to be liable to get sued if somebody gets sick from me feeding them out in a parking lot. Sure. 
is anybody willing to accept the liability for the guy that gets sick from eating out of a dumpster? Or the guy that burns to death in a building from trying to stay warm in the wintertime? Or the guy that freezes to death outside? When that happens, as a society, we go, well, you know, that's such a tragedy and it's such a sad thing. But our city doesn't take responsibility for that. You know, nobody takes responsibility and goes, hey, we're liable because we let this happen. So instead, people want to put these barriers and this red tape in front of you to try to stop you from helping people. But when there's negative consequences of not helping people, nobody accepts responsibility for it. You know, it's fear. There's a lot of fear, yeah. Yeah, there is. Um, however, yesterday I've noticed how... Um, it's an interesting community. I love communities. I've lived in St. Andrews where it's very small, people are close, mm -hmm. and I've been in a few others. But here, it's, um, like, I, I love it. Um, it's great. Um, and it's almost like... Um, it's like family. Yeah, and but it's almost like for anybody who do need help or want um, to reach to someone, that anybody's welcome. And, um, and if they do need something, it's almost like they're there. Yeah. And if so, we don't have it, we'll get it for you. Yeah. Because, you know, like I, I've given out tents to people out on the street, and after I've gotten them housed or after they've found housing themselves, they've come back and brought them back the tent and said, here, I want you to give this to somebody else. Or they come back and they go, Charlie, I don't have the tent, but I gave it to somebody that needed it. You know, it's about looking after each other. They, it's, it's hard times in the Maritimes. New Brunswick is a struggling province. Our economy sucks. It's hard to find a job. Our unemployment rates are up. It's hard to find a good job. Um, so if you're not looking after each other, then what are we doing? You know, really, what are we doing? You got to stop thinking about me and start thinking about us. Because as a, as a community, you know, the Humanity Project, and I know I've said some things and done some things that have made some people pretty upset. And they think that I'm hurting other nonprofits or other charities, but I've never said anything that was untrue. I've never said one thing that anybody's ever been able to come back and go, that isn't true. No, it, it's true. And if you don't like the truth, I'm sorry it offends you, then help me change it. Because I don't like the truth, and that's what I'm trying to change. I'm trying to change the truth of the reality of the situation that's happening in our country. You know, we, we look, it's. It's, it's mind-boggling to me that we know we have a housing issue in our country. We know that there's people, single families, single mothers, there's homeless people. We don't have enough affordable housing. And yet we know that we have a lot of good tradespeople that are laid off and not working and looking for jobs. It doesn't seem like rocket science. It seems more like common sense for the government to hire those people that are tradespeople to build housing for people that don't have it. You solve two problems in one. You create an economy where you can pay people, get them working, get them doing jobs, and you solve our housing issue all at once. You know, but unfortunately, our government's divided into this party system instead of being a people system, a one people system, a one system that works for its people. And that's what the Humanity Project is. We don't take government funding. We are for people by people. And the funny thing about that is... <laughs> There's organizations in this city who support what we do. And they will write me and say, Charlie, you know, can you put this out there or can you post this and say something because this isn't right. But they won't say anything because at the end of the year, when they go to get their money from the, you know, the government or from our city, they don't want to bite the hand that feeds them. But my issue is that hand isn't feeding everybody. It's not taking care of everybody. You know, I've advocated for water because last year I drug out over 10,000 bottles of water to our homeless in our city. You know, working a job and then going out and dragging out 10,000 bottles of water over the summer, I got a little tired of dragging water. So why isn't there water fountains? So we advocated hard, hard, hard for that. And we kept pushing and pushing. Because that's not, it's not a, a right. It's a human basic need of survival to I have did, water. I did notice this year that they, there's like a dozen places that if you're thirsty you can go. Yeah. Um, so that's great. Yeah, Yeah, and they say they're going to install another fountain down in La Bikery. 
and then Riverview just did one, and there's a uh, Canada 150, I think it's called. If we can get Dieppe on board, we can get 15 more water fountains in our city. Wow. You know, so why not stick with it? It's like food security. We've been feeding people since last July. Do I really want to scoop mashed potatoes on a plate for 20 years? No, I don't. And that's why I went after the grocery stores. And that's why I'm continuing to go after the other places that throw food. Because with the Charitable Food Act, it releases them of all liability once they give it to us. See, I call it a dummy answer. You go into any store, say, can I speak to the manager? And they go, yeah. You go, question, why are you guys throwing out all your food instead of donating it? And the first thing they say, well, liability. You know, it's liability. And you go, well, what's the liability in it? And they go, well, I'm not sure. You'd have to speak to so-and-so. It's like it's ingrained in our system. And it's just taught to us the same way that we grow up thinking that a homeless person is a guy with a brown paper bag in a bottle. It's a short answer to go, well, it's liability. It's out of my hands. Can't do nothing. Let's just forget about it and move on. But since Superstore has been helping us, there's things that they've noticed. People going in the store thanking them for doing partnerships with us. Their employees are happier because they're not having to throw out food that they know is perfectly good when people are going hungry. Cool. We've saved them on their dumping fees because they're no longer dumping dumpster after dumpster of perfectly good food out. So instead of, let's say, I don't know how many it is, but let's say instead of 10 loads a month, they might be down to one load, you know? And overall, what's it do? It feeds our community. You know, the idea here is with the Humanity Project isn't to, oh, let's just take care of Moncton and forget about it. I don't look at just feeding our community. If we get all the superstores and you get all the, in Moncton area, and then you get all 83 or 86 of them in the Maritimes, and if you get all the Sobeys, and then you get them all across Canada to donate to local soup kitchens, shelters, places that distribute food, there is enough to feed our whole country. 2016, no one should be going hungry in our country. You know, you look at a picture or a video, and it shows somebody going without water or food. Please send a dollar a day to help this person go without food or, so they can have food and water. And you look at our own country where people go without food and water, and yet we want to look at these other countries and call them third world and call ourselves the best? Give me a break. We're not the best. We're not a first world country because we have the same problems as these people that we look down on, call them third world countries and say that their government don't take care of their people, but our government isn't taking care of our people. You know, because, and I don't know if it's our government doesn't take care of our people or if it's that our government just keeps doing the same thing over and over and over again and not trying to push for change. You know, the, the whole idea of getting them to stop throwing out their food, I know they've been working on it for a while, but what they took a while to do and they have way more resources than we do. We did it in five months. Wow. You know? Because it's just people wanting to get it done. Sometimes I think that some people think that the government should take care of everything. Yeah. But I don't believe that. Mm -hmm. There's certain things that the community has to. So the community has to give. I agree with you 100%. But it's... I find that today some people either don't have the money or don't have the time. And that's where I... So... Um, so but... Um, Let's talk about the, uh, like the individuals themselves, the homeless, the others mm -hmm. that your team is helping. Um, tell us more about those individuals and what's so unique about them. Every one of them is unique. For every person that I've ever met that was homeless, they're all homeless for a different reason. You know, I've met people that have... When, see, addiction, okay? So let's go with addiction. I know a guy personally who got out on the streets because of circumstance. It was straight circumstance of why he was out on the street. And this is before we started feeding people. And he's out there, and he eats his lunch, but he has nothing to eat for supper. So he had to ask strangers for change so that he could eat at night. But he couldn't do it sober. So he would go get a couple beer, and he'd drink them, and then he would stand on the street and ask people for change. And once he got enough money, he would go buy himself something to eat. Because it was too degrading to him to have to ask complete strangers for money. That he had to get a buzz on before he did it. And I don't see, myself, I would have an easier time with a buzz on, asking someone for change, 
than doing it sober. I'm sure most people would. But eventually, after trying to eat every night of the week, well, you're drinking every night of the week. And then eventually when you stop drinking, you start getting the shakes. And your hands are shaking, and then you need another drink. So his addiction problem, did it start because he had an addiction? No, he never had an addiction before that. It started because of a survival. So is it survival or is it addiction? Because the only way he could survive was to basically drink so that he didn't feel so degraded. So that he could ask people so he could for money so he could eat. You know? Once I got him off the street, he's now sober. And he's housed and he's working and he's got a job and he's got a girlfriend and his life's back. But he did he didn't have that helping hand up then before he turned into an addiction before he developed an addiction you know and then I've met people that are out on the street like this one guy I'll never forget it he was sitting on the side of a building with his phone plugged in using their Wi-Fi looking for a job and I came up to him I said what are you doing he said oh nothing just looking for a job I said oh you're homeless yeah I said where are you at and he said oh I'm just over here in a tent he said I said why are you homeless and it was he worked the same job for six years got laid off was looking for another job, waiting for his unemployment. Unemployment screwed something up, and his landlord didn't want to wait for the rent. So two weeks later, he's spending two weeks living outside because his unemployment didn't come in, and then his unemployment finally came in. I said to him, I said, okay, so you have money, you want to find a job. Yeah, I said, I think I got an apartment for you. I went and called these landlords I work with. It was like halfway through the month. I bring him to the apartment. I said, here, I'll pay your rest of the month's rent half months and then that way you can save some money um, and as a, before I got that out of my mouth he pulled out the rent money and paid it himself he had the money he just needed a helping hand up because the problem is when you go to rent a place where you're paying your first months you're paying your last months or your damage deposit that's a huge chunk of money you know to have to come up with and that guy was going to a soup kitchen in the day and then he would go down to the convenience store and get three hot dogs for 99 cents at night so that he could eat supper and he would save the rest of the money because he was trying to save for that damage deposit and for that rent while living out of a tent. You know, and all I did was give him a helping hand up, introduced him to the right people that waived his damage deposit and said, yeah, we'd love to have you. And he paid his rent rate that day and he was off the street. And he's been housed now, he's working a job, and he's gotten three promotions at his job since. He just needed that helping hand up. So for every person that I've met that's homeless, it's completely different. Wow. Well, it's great that he's doing good. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes it's all... Sometimes when you're like, you got that extra helping hand, it helps them just that one-on-one -on -one situation. Yeah. So if you were to redefine poverty, you know, because poverty seems to have that negative connotation a bit, and um, how would you word that out? Poverty is everywhere and everyone. Poverty is 99% of our country. Everybody, everybody listening to this, everybody I talk to, knows somebody that's in a bad situation. Guaranteed. But if we were to make it positive, like, to change the perspective, so poverty, yeah, this person has lost, like, they don't have an apartment. Some of them do have an apartment or don't, but the amount of people they have is overwhelming. So if you were to say that more positively, like, where... Changing the social consciousness of thinking that people are just lazy and don't want to work or that they just don't care or they don't care about themselves or that, you know, they don't want to try or apply themselves or just go get a job. It's the most ridiculous thing ever. It's the most ridiculous thing ever. There's people that, you know, been here and they work harder here than most people that have jobs, you know, they're they're dedicated, and once you get them a job, well, they're even more dedicated. It's just a matter of getting that helping hand up. Poverty affects everyone. Poverty is poverty is. Then that's the thing, you know. A lot of organizations, and no disrespect to them or anything like that, but a lot of, especially larger ones, it's nine to five. You know, you can help people nine to five. That's what poverty is. But poverty is 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And to change the idea of poverty, 
we have to change the way we do things. Because it's not just about changing the social consciousness, it's changing the way we do things. Like, if the grocery store thing. If you get grocery stores to stop throwing out food, well, our poverty is going to go way, way down. Because everybody will have food. You know? That'll take care of a big, big part of it. Um, housing. Getting housing for people. Affordable housing. You know, changing some of the things. Why, why is there poverty? Well, you look at our assistance. Assistance, okay? So you got two guys... They want to share an apartment? Nope, not going to happen. You know, unless it's special circumstances or whatever, they're going to cut one of your checks off. You can't, you can't both be in the same place. And so what happens is we go, okay, well now you got to rent a room. So you're going to go pay three fifty, four hundred bucks, four fifty a month even, for a room from somebody, out of your check of five hundred and thirty-seven dollars a month. That's what you have to live off of. But if our assistants changed it, so two guys can be roommates and you said okay we're gonna go rent a two-bedroom apartment for 600 we split it 300 each well now we each have 237 dollars a month more to live off of than 50 or 60 you know I know a guy that I housed and he wanted to find a job so he went to assistance and he got his assistance and he said to me you know I'm housed now everything's good I'm trying to find a job but here's the problem I pay my rent and I buy a bus pass so that I can get downtown and go look for jobs, I'm left with $8 a month. $8 a month to buy all your food. So then what happens? Then you're dependent on the food banks. You're dependent on our service. You're dependent on different services. You know, you're not setting people up for success. You know, so that, it's, we need to change the system. We need to change the way people think. And we need to change the way we do things. No, you're right. The system's not perfect, but... It's, it's due for a big... Uh, Overhaul? Yeah, a big change, yeah. <laughs> now, you mentioned addictions. Some people have um, have addiction issues. You mentioned um, mental health. Um, I'm sure others have other health needs. Yeah. Um, so are you helping uh, them get those needs, either here or connect them to other organizations that uh, can provide those? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. If somebody, you know, when, the, the funny thing is, that's another thing, is uh, you, you hear people say, well, a lot of the homeless are mentally ill. You know, mental illness is a big part of homelessness. Yeah, you're right, it is. It is for two reasons. One is uh, if somebody goes out on the street and they have their meds, throw it on the street for a bit, well, they're not getting assistance, they're not having any income, they can't afford their meds. So now they're off their meds, and that's when things start to go wonky. Two, humans have a breaking point, whether it's in war, relationships, great moments of stress. If you're sitting outside in the wintertime, and it's minus 30, and you got, you know, snot frozen to your face because you're freezing, and your feet are frozen because they're wet, and you're cold, how many nights do you sit outside freezing before you hit your breaking point? I asked a homeless man once, I said, uh, you know, they say mental illness affects a lot of the homeless, but how many people have you ever seen go mentally ill from being homeless? And he looked at me and said, you hit the nail right on the head. He goes, I've known people that I've talked to, and they're fine. And six months later, they're talking to themselves because they're secluded, they're by themselves. You know, people walk by them, feel like they're invisible. You know, don't... Like, you can walk by and give somebody five bucks, but how about walk by and give them five bucks and give them a hug and tell them that you care about them and let them know that you care about them and that you're there for them, you know? That's what makes the real difference. The real difference isn't throwing money into a hat. The real difference is letting that person know that you're there for them and that you're here to help them succeed, you know? Because it, it, it comes back around to we have to take care of each other. We have to look out for each other because at the end of the day, why do I do all this? Because I don't want to worry about where my next meal comes from when I'm a senior like the seniors I'm feeding today. I don't want my daughter to ever have to worry about putting her head down on a piece of cement because there's no place that she can go that won't treat her. She should be treated with love, respect, and dignity at all times, you know. For every person that's homeless, we don't treat them all the same. 
we treat them as individuals and we tailor to their individual needs because when you treat them all the same it's not going to work because they're not the same you know so to change that we have to change the way we treat people we have to change the way we look at people and just treat everybody with love dignity and respect don't assume that like there was a girl from one agency in town she said charlie you're so d disillusional you know they're all thieves they're convicts they're blah 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 and she started going off and I said right to her, I said, you are jaded. Because what you just said to me is you just classified every single one of them as of the same. So when they walk in, you look at the next guy that could just be homeless that day. Like he's a thief. Like he's a liar. Like, he, you know, you can't look at people like that. Have we ever been burned since, you know, this organization started? Yeah. I've been burned. I've had people burn me. But I'll tell you something. I remind myself it's not everyone. Because if I don't remind myself that it's not everyone, I will become just as jaded as anybody else. And you start looking at them all the same. And that's what we cannot do, no matter what. Like, we've talked about it before in our administrative team and our leadership teams and stuff. And that's the thing. Like, on our leadership team, we have people that sit on our team that are quite wealthy. And they're good in the business world. But we have people that are sleeping on the street on our team. Because at the end of the day, anything some guy says in a business suit, I'm going to look at the homeless person and say, does that work for you? And they go, no. I go, cool, skip it. Let's go on to the next thing. Because there's no point in doing something for them if it doesn't work for them. You know, you have to, you have to work with them and find things that work for them. It has to be all inclusive. Yeah, 100%. You have to include them. You have to, their opinions matter just as much as my opinion does, you know. When I go to City Hall and I speak and the room clears out after I'm done, and it's clearing out with people that are currently sleeping on the streets or people that are using our service, that tells me a lot. It tells me a lot. It tells me that we have the support of the people that we help because they know that we're truly trying to help them, that we're there for them, you know? And if I get up and I walk out of the meeting and with just a bunch of people in suits, that means nothing to me because it doesn't mean anything to them. It has to be something meaningful to them, because to work something, to find something that works for them, you got to work with them. You do, and you have to take their opinions and what they think and into consideration, and take their ideas and make them work. You know. But throwing five bucks, like you said, is not going to work, and it is all about the connection you make with them and the, how you relate to these people. And for, for many things, it's always been that way. How you connect and relate to people in general. Um, so, um, yeah, we need to, we need to, like for, some people struggle with this, but we have to really look how we connect to people, how we relate to them, to um, help them out. Now, you, know. there, you have a video on uh, your website, and those who are listening, if you have a chance to look at the other videos on uh, the humanity project uh, dot com um, go ahead there's a lot of information there's a video that says it's a humanity project dot ca dot ca that's alright um, you do have one of the video that says how poverty costs Canada billions now I've yeah I've heard a little bit about this before but I don't know how much you know so can you tell us how um, more about how poverty is ca costing Canada a lot of money yeah, it costs us a lot of money. You know, they say on average, for every homeless person that is on the streets, it costs the Canadian taxpayers roughly, according to some estimates, around $130,000 a year. That's because of uh, medical, going to the police, uh, going to the hospital, um, using the food bank, shelters, services, all that stuff. On average, they say it's around $130,000 a year. To house somebody and feed them, and give them their food and their housing for a year mm -hmm. saves us roughly around $100,000 for every person. So if you take into account that if you house, like we've housed, uh, after today it will be 44 homeless people we've housed after today. Wow. So two of them are moving into their apartment today. So 44, so we've saved, according to those estimates, the city of Moncton reviewed, yeah, roughly about $4.4 million wow. from housing people, you know, and, uh, and then you got the rest of the country, so imagine, yeah, the amount of money, yeah, it's billions, wow. you know, 
and we're just a small city in a small town and mm -hmm. you know you look at you got St. John Fredericton how many homeless do they have you look at Halifax how many homeless are there if you take well, just what's in the Maritimes and you housed everybody that's a lot of money we're saving our taxpayers and that's that's the thing like the end of the day if you house everybody across Canada and you help them out and you're saving all this money don't take the money and waste it take the money and put it into medication for diabetics that can't afford their medicine that's a life-saving medicine put it into that put it into seniors that can't afford their medicine put it into our education of our children you know to better educate them change the social consciousness stuff like that there's other ways we can divert the money so that it still helps out more people and saves overall our country like to me that's what we should do we should make our country great and do whatever it takes to make our country great Prioritize uh, where we need to, yeah. to spend money on. Yeah. So if you go back to the province, does um, New Brunswick have a ten or twenty year plan to end homelessness? Can you, do you what there, do you know about that? There's a there's a housing first initiative across Canada that they're rolling out. Uh, you know, it's uh, I haven't heard much about it. Um, I hear a little bit here and there about it, but. We should be hearing about it every day in the news. Every citizen across our country should be aware of what's going on. You know, you shouldn't have to go Google it to look for it. We should all know. We should be educated. It should be on our TVs. It should be on our commercials. It should be like, this is what Canada's doing. We're ending homelessness. You know, get on board. Like, the thing I think a lot, a lot of organizations and what our government itself is missing is you're not involved in your community. You're not getting your community involved and in showing them the change. You know, like you said, you came in here yesterday and it, you had to reword a couple of your questions because you've seen what was going on and you, you get that sense of community, right, being here? Well, I call our volunteers repeat offenders because someone comes in to volunteer and I see them again the next day or three days later I get ladies, like a lady came in, she's like, yeah, Charlie, I won't be able to help for the next two, three weeks because I'm going on vacation, me and my husband, we booked it at the same time. I was like, okay, great, you know, I'll just make sure everything's covered. First day of her vacation, she's in here. And she's in here chopping. She's like, oh, well, I had a couple hours. I'm just going to chop up some, okay, cool, you know. Three days into her vacation, she shows up here. I got a couple more hours. I thought I'd come in, and that's why I call them repeat offenders. I find it's funny because when you have that sense of purpose, whether it's for somebody on the street or somebody that comes here. You know, at the end of the day, I've said some things, like I said, and done some things that haven't made everybody happy. Whether you like me or not, everybody that comes to the Humanity Project comes here, helps here, works here, whatever, because they see something in the Humanity Project that they see in themselves. You know, it's not about me. It's about all of us. You can't please everyone anyway. Well, exactly. You're never gonna you're never gonna please everyone. You know that's just a fact. So looking back in that day in January 2014, when you drove by the that person on the street, and at first you didn't do anything, and at that moment it made you reflect a lot on that action. Um, everybody knows that taking action is very important. And from then on, you created something that has now become what it is today. Um, what can you say about taking action and, and, and creating change? Creating action. Action starts with each and every one of us. You know, whether uh, it's the homeless thing you care about or whether it's animals you care about, every little bit contributes to the greater good. One thing that I, I've heard a lot of people say is I love to help but I have no money. Okay, that's cool. Because I know people that have money that don't have time to help. So, everyone has something to give. And that's what we have to realize. You might not have money. I don't need your money. Money's going to help us further our cause faster and help more people faster, certainly. But, you don't need money to help. You can come in and help prepare a meal. You can come in and fold clothes or blankets that are going to keep homeless people warm in the winter. You can come in and do whatever it is you want 
to make you feel like you're being a part of that change. And if you have money to give because you don't have time, because you're working 100 hours a week and that's all you have, then donate the money. But if you don't have money, donate your time. Donate. When you're walking down the street, you don't even have to donate your time to us. You're walking down the street, say hello to a person that's on the street and smile at them. You can make their day with just that. The simplest things we do can make the biggest differences in the world. And they can make the biggest differences to somebody else. You know, I, uh, one thing I think that's ingrained in our society that we really need to change and when it comes to social consciousness is myself personally. You know, growing up, you're a little kid and they say, you know, what do you want to be, little Susie, when you grow up or little Johnny? Well, I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a doctor. I want to be this and that. And Okay, cool. You get to like grade 10 or 11 and they go, well, you're almost done high school. What do you want to be? What do you want to be? So you make these decisions and you go, okay, I'm going to go be a veterinarian or I'm going to go be this. And you go to school and you do it. And I have a lot of friends that went to university and stuff. And I had a daughter when I was uh, 18 years old and I've been living on my own. So I was working, taking care of my kid. And my friends were off in university and stuff. And I went down to visit them and stuff like that and party, whatever. But I didn't go to university. And I seen my friends all going. And for the longest time, I felt like a loser. I felt like a loser because... It was just like this weight on my shoulders because I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. So I was going from job to another job and I still didn't know what I wanted to be. You know, and as time went on, my friends finished school and after time I seen some of them that went to school and got these huge mountains of debt and they're not happy in their jobs. They're not happy with doing with what they did because they had to decide right then and there, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I always had this weight on my shoulders. But when I founded the Humanity Project, and I went out and helped those people, that's when, the first time in my life, I, I found happiness. Because I realized, it wasn't what I want to be when I grew up, it's who I want to be when I grow up. And once I realized that it's about who you want to be, and not what you want to be, because you can have all the certifications, you can have <clears throat> all the degrees you want, but if you're not happy, you're still not happy. So it's really, in life, it's not about what do you want to be, it's who do you want to be in life, you know? And I think once you realize that and you find that, and you stop worrying about what other people think about you, or what other people say about you, and you worry about you, and your happiness and making others happy and what you want to do, I think a lot more people would be happier in life, you know, knowing that they don't have to live up to the expectations of well, what do you want to be? It's who do you want to be? Because I know, I know a guy that's a vet, and he'd probably be happier being an accountant, you know, because he just felt forced into it because of his family, you know, pushing. You, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? And then he had to crunch time, time to go to school and decide. But that's not really what he wanted to do. So I think that alone in our society, we really need to change. Instead of asking our children, you know, what do you want to be? What do you want to be? Well, who do you want to be? What kind of things do you want to do? What's going to make you happy? You know, the dollar doesn't make you happy. Because you can make all the money in the world and you can still be as miserable as can be. But if you're doing something, they always say, like, uh, it's, it's kind of cliche. People say, you know, uh, when, you, when you do a job that makes you happy, it doesn't seem like a job. Or it doesn't seem like work. That's absolutely true. You know, I don't make any money from this. I don't take any money from this. I got to work a full-time job to pay my bills and feed my kid and feed myself and everything else, just like everybody else does. That's impressive. But I do this because it makes me happy. Because, and I see the changes that are happening. And that's that's what it's all about. That's great. You know? But you're right. They did a study, not, um, I don't know when, but... It's not about how much money you have, but the resources that you have around you. Yeah. So, good family, good friends, um, good social network, and a good purpose in life. That's. Uh, and I think point. that's the difference, too, is when you surround yourself with positive people in a positive atmosphere. So when people come here, like, let's say if you went to a soup kitchen in town and uh, they serve lunch at noon and you eat, and at 1230, as soon as you finish your meal, you got to be out the door. 
you're just rushed out the door, you're a number, take a number, grab a plate. Some cases you're probably not, probably not even done eating. That's it. And then here, we open at 4, coffee's at 4 to 5. People sit out there, they can watch TV, relax. They can play ping pong, they can play air hockey, they can play on the piano, whatever they want to do. At 5 o'clock, we serve a meal. Until our volunteers are done cleaning the kitchen, or even some of our friends that eat here are sitting here afterwards helping us do the dishes and clean up. Until they're done, we're not kicking everybody out of the building. You gotta go, you gotta get out, we're done. No. You know, especially in the wintertime. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. You know, I come to the door here in the wintertime and there's somebody outside freezing and we're not open for two hours, they can come up and sit on the couch in the warm. I'm not gonna leave them sitting outside. You know, like, we need to stop operating with rules and start operating with our hearts. And let our hearts guide us. Instead of these stupid rules or these stupid things, your heart knows what's best. Your heart knows what's best for people. You know you do. So let that guide you. You know? Now, <clears throat> you're in the old uh, curling rink, the old curling center. Yep. And um, you're currently renovating this place. Yep. Um, how it's going to look in the end, who knows, but... Uh, Amazing. I can't wait to see. Yeah, it will be amazing. <laughs> um, and you're also working on the food bus, though I, I, from even from the videos online, I don't know much. Um, so with all that, what are the next steps with those projects and the next steps in general? The next step is to hear back from the city of Moncton and find out where they stand on this war on poverty. And I call it a war on poverty because we have wars over oil, over money, over the stupidest things, but we need to declare war on one of the most important things, which is poverty in our country. And our organization is doing just that. We are declaring war on poverty. What's next is finding out about the building, where we stand with the city, and then once we take ownership of the building, we need to get our housing built in our ice shed as quickly as possible because winter time isn't that far off it's going to be cold sooner than later I've given out 67 tents in two months and where are those 67 people or more because there's some of them that have two people per tent but where are those people going to go when it hits winter time you know we've shut down so many rooming houses that they're not available anymore we don't have the affordable housing so what's going to happen you know, our shelters that we have now are full, or some people just choose not to use them for one reason or another. One big reason is, I don't know, myself personally, if you tell me I have to be in at 8 o'clock at night, and if I'm, let's say, late and I'm not in, well, you're going to kick me out for 30 days? You know, I'm a grown-ass man. I don't need you to tell me I have to be in at 8.30 because I'm sure the people that operate those places don't want to be at their house or have to be at their house at 8.30 every night or at a certain time or 6.30 in the winter, you know? So to tell people, you go tell a six-year-old man, you got to be in at 6.30 at night, and if you're not in at 6.30 at night, you're kicked out for 30 days. Is that really helping homelessness? No, that's perpetuating it. Because at the end of the day, here, here's the crazy thing, and it's the absolute truth. You take somebody and you kick them out of a shelter, well, there's your number for the amount of people. Now, in a month when they come back, well, you just got another number for a person that just signed into your shelter. So at the end of the year, when the government goes, how many people did you house? You have these numbers stacking up. And if you keep kicking them out for 30 days and bringing them back and you're recounting those numbers, then it ends up looking like you need more funding. Because here's what's different about the organization of the Humanity Project than any other place. If I have $10 in the bank, $10,000 in the bank, or $100,000 in the bank at the end of the year, when I show my expenses to the public, I'll show them that there's 100000 left in the bank where other organizations, and some of them, will spend that money as fast as they can at the year end because when the government goes, okay, we gave you $130,000 last year, but you only spent 100 so we're not giving you 130 this year. We're only going to give you the 100 but if you spend that 130 now you need that 130 next year or more, whereas us, whatever's left in the bank goes into our projects for the next year. It goes into whatever we're doing, and that's the way it should be. It shouldn't be about spending all the money you can as fast as you can so you can get the same amount. 
It should be about helping as many people as you can and trying to make the best value of that dollar. You know, like when we fed 33 families for $747, we have continued to coupon for the last two years. You know, my, my accountant was here yesterday and he said, if I took the number of how little amount you brought in in money-wise and what you guys have done with it, it doesn't even make sense. It doesn't even register how you were able to house this many people, how you were able to feed this many people, how you were able to do all these things with this small, small amount of money, you know? Because we did it as a community and getting people to work together on whatever they were good at to make the best possible value for each and every dollar. You know, I've worked in social services for over six years and done lots of volunteering. And if they could roll over that money over the next year, if they haven't spent it, it would be, there would make a difference. Yeah. A big difference. But you're, they're too concerned about getting the same amount next year or getting it. Or not getting it. So, so your value shouldn't be based on what you spend. Your value of what you get should be based on what you do. You know, if we continue to push for change and work towards change, then the public's going to keep supporting it no matter if we have $10 or 10000 in our bank. It's not going to make a difference because they're going to know that every dollar, at the end of the day, if someone gives us a donation of a dollar, I need to be able to look at them in the eye and then know that every penny of that dollar went to helping people. Not 80 cents of it, not 50 cents of it, the whole dollar went to help people. Because that's important. Because that was something for me, like, before I started this was, well, I look at some of these organizations, and where's all the money going? You know, these guys are making half a million dollars as CEOs of these non-profits. Well, who's really profiting? You know? What, like, we got to give our heads a shake. What's going on here? I've seen that. It's, um, it's not right. Yeah, when they, they make, like... Seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, and I'm like, you don't, you know, they don't need that much. One of the people can live off a hundred thousand dollars, and and they're fine. But this person's making almost a, a million dollars. Yeah, no, they don't, they don't need that. You know that like post search for goodness contest, like ten grand. If the ten grand I win it, that's technically mine. I could take it go buy myself a vehicle, I could go do a lot of things with that I need the money for, right? But, I'm going to give it all back to the Humanity Project, every freaking penny of it. And the reason being, I have a bed to sleep in, I have food to eat, and I have water that comes out of my tap. But I know many, many people who don't. And if I can use that $10,000 to help them have food to eat, a bed to sleep in, and a tap to get water out of, then that's what I'm going to do, you know? Because in the greater scheme of things, in the bigger picture, it's about us all taking care of each other and looking after each other, you know? As long as my basic needs are met, then I'm happy because I see people every day of the week whose basic needs aren't met. You know, it's summertime. It's hard for anybody around here to get a shower, you know? you got to go have your ID at a certain place to go take a shower, like, seriously, if you don't have ID, you can't come in? That, that's just ridiculous to me. It's hot, it's sweaty, you know, they haven't probably changed their clothes in, let's say, two, three days. They like to take a shower and put some hot water and some soap on their body so that they can feel a little bit more dignified. And what's stopping them? A piece of plastic with their picture on it? Give me a break. Turn on the shower, you know what I mean? Like, the way we think about things and we operate is just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And in the end, it's their mental health, right? So That's it. Yeah. No, wow. So, it's been a great um, almost uh, hour. Um, thank you very much, uh, Charlie. Um, are there any last words you would like to say uh, before we end this? Yeah. Uh, revolution does not start with an uprising. A revolution starts by showing people another way of doing things and it starts with each and every one of us doing our part because we all have a part to play no matter how big or how small we all have a part in making a change happen and we all know what the right thing to do is and it's time we just start doing it 
that's about it. Like, you know, it's all about love. Well, thank you very much, Charlie, and um, have a nice day. Thanks, bro.